Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves into your hands. We ask you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know our weakness, Lord. You know each one of us where we are. You know what we need. And you have the power, and yours is the grace, to meet each one of us where we are this morning, Lord. That your name may be glorified, and that righteousness would be exalted in the earth and extended, Lord. And that your church may become a city on a hill to which the world will look with wonder. Lord, we want whatever happens here this morning to achieve that very thing. So we commit it to you, pray for your blessing, for the moving of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's just read Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12 before we continue, because those are the verses we're looking at. Matthew 7, 7 to 12. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I'm not sure what's up on the screen, but um, perhaps you'll get some of the complexity of it if it's a different version. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. But what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the Law and the Prophets. So at the end of today's sermon, I'm going to pray a prayer. For us, And it's probably going to be a slightly lengthier prayer than we're used to in church services, but it's one which, in the verses which we've just heard, we are invited to pray. In fact, uh, more than that, we are commanded to pray this prayer. And if you understand which I pray by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you do. If you understand what I'm going to tell you today, what I believe Jesus is saying in these verses It's a prayer that will delight you to pray. As we enter Matthew chapter 7, we're heading towards the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. I think we've been going for eight weeks or something, and there's only two weeks left. And I want to read to you a comment that the great Puritan uh, Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, I want to read you something he said as he began his commentary on Matthew chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount, of course, beginning at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. So we're coming to the end of it, and this is what Matthew Henry says. This chapter, chapter 7, continues and concludes Christ's Sermon on the Mount, which is purely practical, he says, directing us to order our conversation aright, both toward God and man. So in particular, Matthew chapter 7 is about the words that we speak, both towards God and towards man. So he says... For the design of the Christian religion is to make men good. Every way good. The design of the Christian religion is to make men good. Every way good. Now if you know a little bit about church history and the Reformation, for some of you who are coming to the Bible College course on a Monday night, we're busy looking at the Reformation. And one of the doctrines which the Reformers stood so firmly upon and were so opposed to in the Catholic Church of the day was that human beings are justified before God purely through faith. That we do not have to become good people in order to be forgiven, find peace with God, go to heaven. You don't have to become a good person. And that is exactly what Roman Catholic doctrine teaches That we are to cooperate with grace, we are to participate in the various sacraments of the church as they call them, and that through the participation in the sacraments, this 
this almost like a substance in Catholic theology, this subst- grace substance gets into your body through the, the sacrament, particularly through the mass, the bread and the wine, and that grace substance somehow makes you a better person. It somehow makes you behave more righteously. So you become righteous in your own person, in your own behavior, and that through that increasing in personal righteousness, you then, their word, not mine, merit your own salvation. And the reformers said, no, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that we are justified by the grace of God through faith alone. We do not have to become good people in order to be forgiven. The whole point is that we're not good people. We need to be forgiven freely of what we've done. And you can have that. It's on offer in the gospel if you will just put your faith, your confidence in Jesus. And the moment any human being does that, they are instantaneously forgiven of their sin. Justified freely in the sight of God. Made clean in God's sight forevermore. Never to have your sin thrown up against you again. Forgiven in an instant. That's the goodness of the good news. And so it might surprise you that Matthew Henry, a good Puritan, a Protestant to the very marrow of his bones, would say something like this, that the design of the Christian religion is to make men good. What does he mean by that? Well, he does not mean that you have to be good in order to be forgiven or to have salvation. That's not what he means. What he means is this. The purpose for which God saves us is to transform us, is to make us good by giving us the Holy Spirit, by transforming us, by the renewing of our minds and the work of the Spirit within us, to conform us to the image of Jesus. That's the reason God saved you, was to transform you. The salvation comes first where He freely forgives you, but that's not the end of it. We will not be completely and entirely saved from sin until we have been entirely set free from sin. Jesus Christ is a great Savior from sin. He's a great Savior. Not only... Does He justify you and forgive you of your transgressions in a moment because of His sacrifice on the cross? But He also will progressively through your life help you to overcome the struggle with sin that we all still have. He will entirely liberate us from the hold of sin, from the effects of sin, from the weakness that we have in the face of temptation to sin. One day... We will live with God in the presence of Father, Son, and Spirit, seeing Him face to face. We will live with Him in a new heavens and a new earth. When Jesus returns, and this whole world will be wrapped up, and the kingdom of heaven is fully and finally inaugurated and and brought into the fullness of its existence, and we into it. On that day, we will be completely free from sin. That is a kingdom of righteousness, the Bible says. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom into which nothing that defiles or causes an offense will be permitted. And those who are idolaters and and sexually immoral and all of that, they will be outside. And they will not be allowed in. And there we will live for all eternity, living in perfect righteousness, perfect love and peace. And we will finally be completely liberated from sin. That is what Jesus died for. And so you see, Matthew Henry is right. The design of the Christian religion is to make men good. And God is going to achieve what He has designed the Christian religion for because He works all things according to the counsel of His will. And that delights my heart. It delights me that I will one day be completely free of sin. That God will make me good. It delights me because because God delights in what is good. And when God looks upon me, I want Him to delight in me. Because... 
The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the greatest persons in existence. And so I want my life to delight them. Because I love them. God is the epitome of all that is good, and I want Him to be pleased with me. I do. Not only that, but it delights me that God will make me good because God hates all that is not good. And I don't want, when God looks at me, to hate what He sees in my life. I want Him to love what He sees. Because He is coming to judge the earth. Our God is an all-consuming fire, and He's to be feared. And so it delights me that God has committed to making me good and that He's going to achieve what He has set out to achieve. He will complete that good work which He has begun in me and in you. He will do it. So Matthew Henry's right. The ultimate design of the Christian religion is to make us good, is to use the, the, the means of grace, the, the Bible, Bible reading, preaching, the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us and to conform us to the image of Jesus. This is the will of God for us, says the Bible, our sanctification. That is His will for us. Our being made good. And so as Matthew Henry reminds us as he introduces Matthew chapter 7, this is what Jesus is concerned with in the Sermon on the Mount. What does a good life in the eyes of God, look like? What does a good life look like? What is it that the Holy Spirit is progressively conforming us to? What will life look like one day in that kingdom when we've finally been freed from sin? What will it be like in heaven? And here we see it displayed. Here we see it in the Sermon on the Mount. The, the, the manifesto of the, of the kingdom, it is displaying what the goodness of life in the kingdom should look like and will one day perfectly look like. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And as Jesus now begins to bring His sermon to a close, he, He's now coming to the end of this great Sermon on the Mount. As we read these verses... He's beginning to close. He's beginning to summarize all that he said. And he's, he's working his way towards a great climactic appeal to his hearers. Which we will see next week. A great appeal that he makes to them to enter through the narrow gate. Walk upon the difficult way. And as he works his way towards this great appeal, he's now concluding much of what he said. Now, if you're going to understand the verses that we're looking at today, that's something you've got to bear in mind. He is beginning to conclude and summarize. What he's saying here is in reference to everything he has already said. And he, he begins to conclude now, and he does so under three general headings. And Andrew began to, to look at that first heading last week, which is how we deal with others. He gives a, a few summary statements. How we deal with others, how we deal with God is the second one. That's primarily what we'll look at this morning. And then a great final appeal, an exhortation to the people is the third one. How we deal with God, how we deal with others, and a great final exhortation. Um, how we deal with others, Andrew looked at judging others, how we speak about other people, not judging critically, not having a hypocritical view of others, being willing to give other people the benefit of the doubt, to put ourselves in their shoes and think what they're going through before we judge them. That's what Jesus begins to say, and then the other thing he says about dealing with others is that we are to do unto others as we would have them do unto ourselves. Now that's in the verses we're speaking with today. We'll touch on that as well. The second one, how we, how we deal with God, he basically says this, we, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, we have to have a relationship of God which is based on faith. And then thirdly, that great final exhortation, that's what whoever's preaching next week will look at. That great impassioned appeal. So, I want us to look at verses 7 to 11 as a block, and then we'll get to verse 12 just now. I'm going to read them again to you. He's addressing how we deal with others and how we deal with God. In summary, ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish you'll give him a serpent. You know in Galilee um, the way they used to bake bread it was easy for a, a, a flat sort of based round stone of a certain color to look like a loaf of bread. There's a certain eel that swims in the lake of Galilee that looks like a fish. And so some of the commentators are saying that Jesus is using everyday speech to say, you know, your child might ask you, give me that, that's a, that's a loaf of bread. And, but as a father, you know, that's not a loaf of bread, it's a stone. I'm not going to give that to you. Or give me that, that's a fish, it's good to eat. No, it's not good to eat. That's an eel, it's poisonous. If you then being evil, what a throwaway comment. And what a profound summary and judgment of Jesus himself as to the state of human beings. We are evil. If you being evil, says Jesus. Jesus himself taught the total depravity of man. One of the points I'm going to get to this morning, God gives me grace, is that it's okay for you to admit that you're evil, that you struggle with sin. Yes, if you've been a Christian, there's a profound change in your heart and all that, but there is still a struggle with evil, with sin, with temptation. It's okay for you to admit that. In fact, God wants you to admit it. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? If there is anything in the Sermon on the Mount, well, if there's anything that it'll do when you read it, and when you hear it preached and expounded upon, if if there's anything it'll do is... If you are truly listening to the words and truly searching your heart as you hear these things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, it will leave you feeling a great sense of your own inability to do what is right. It will undo you. When we hear those those high and, and lofty commands of Jesus we become convinced of our own inability to please God, to do what is right, to obey Him, our inability to, to be kind and gracious, to not judge, to not love money, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to be faithful in prayer, to be merciful, to be a peacemaker. We look at these things and, and if you're honest with yourself, it makes you feel completely unworthy. Surely. It'll even leave you feeling like you can't provide for your own family without God's help. Because Jesus said, even your daily bread, food and clothing are a gift of God, he says. And God can take it away, no matter how rich you think you are, he can take it away like that. We just are left with a complete feeling of destitution and our need for God. And so while the Sermon on the Mount is a display of what goodness looks like, all it does for us sinful, evil people is it makes us aware of our own inability. It's like those words that Jesus speaks to the lukewarm Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3. He says to them, you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, I have no need of anything, and, I don't, uh, and you do not know, said Jesus, that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It is just such a revelation that the Sermon on the Mount brings to sinful people. And I mean, I must ask you, surely, as you have been sitting here, if you have been for these last eight weeks, there have been moments where you have felt this very thing, this undoing of your own righteousness before God. Just take Andrew's sermon last week on judging others. I mean, is there anybody in this room that did not feel a conviction of sin? That actually, when you read the words of Jesus, that you are not to speak words of judgment about other people without a completely pure heart in doing so. Without searching your own heart first, without being a hypocrite. 
We are so quick to judge others, so quick to speak out against us. Just that alone will bring conviction to every one of us. And then you go through the the whole Sermon on the Mount. Maybe for you it was a, a feeling of conviction when Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow. Maybe that's something you struggle with. You, you worry about money. You worry about your provision. And, and, you, and you effectively are showing a lack of faith that God will give you what you need. That He provides for His children. Maybe for you that's a, a struggle, not worrying. Maybe it's a, it's a thing about being free from jealousy. From, from your eyes, looking at, 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 other, at other people's lives, other people's things, other people's wives, other people's cars, other people's things, and, and not desiring them, not feeling a sense of jealousy. Maybe that's something you struggle with. Maybe it's, it's, it's a looseness from the material things of this world. When Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters, you either love God or you love money. Maybe it's an obsession with shopping and and getting things for yourself that you struggle with. That you felt a sense of conviction and an undoing of your righteousness. And on we could go. No sinful person, and that's all of us. No human being can read the Sermon on the Mount with their eyes open and not be left feeling completely undone. That's the problem with the Sermon on the Mount. That's why it causes such trouble theologically. Because it is such a high standard. In fact, within the Sermon on the Mount, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees who were meticulous, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, what is the the answer to all this? What's the answer? And in these verses that we've read, Jesus is now concluding the Sermon on the Mount with the answer to this. It's no surprise to God that you feel undone. He is not surprised by your weakness. He's not surprised by your temptation, your susceptibility to stumbling. He's not surprised by it. In fact, he has made provision for it. And this is the answer that Jesus gives us. The answer he gives us, which is contained in these verses, is is that we must have a relationship with God. A relationship with God. That's the answer. And that's based on faith. Our hope is in God in the face of all our inabilities, our stumbling, our susceptibility to temptation. Our hope is in God. Our help is from God. And so it's a relationship with God that we need. And so if it's a relationship we need, what do relationships look like? What is a relationship with God? Well, in any relationship, there's essentially two things that, that make a relationship. The one is... Speaking to each other. Communication makes relationships. And the second thing is serving each other. Deeds. So it's words and deeds make up relationships. Conversations and actions. Relationships about being in each other's presence and exchanging words and deeds. And God is the one who has initiated. That means He has begun the process of forming a relationship with you. Yes, He has. In both deeds and in words. He has brought His deeds to you when you had no relationship with Him, when you were in rebellion against Him. He did His deeds for you. He created the world. He he gave you life. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. He gave you a personality that no one else in this world has. He has loved you with great acts. And when you were still a sinner and in rebellion against Him, He put His own Son on a cross for you. We cannot question the deeds of God. He's done everything for you. Our God has done great things for us. But not only His deeds, but also His words. God has spoken to us. 
in His Word, the Bible. He speaks to us. He speaks to us in the Sermon on the Mount. We have His words. We have His deeds. And so now, here, Jesus tells us that an absolutely fundamental part of our having a relationship with God is for us to be able to bring our deeds back to Him. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's about our deeds. It's about how we serve God in response to His, is His deeds towards us. But the problem is, as we've been discussing, we can't bring these deeds to God. We can't do them. Because we, in our flesh, nothing good dwells. We still struggle with sin. And so Jesus gives us the answer. In order to bring your deeds to God, the answer is to bring your words to God. I hope you heard what I just said. That is the summary of the this, of this sermon this morning. And I think the summary of the words that Jesus is speaking. In order to be able to bring acceptable deeds to God, you must bring your words to God. You've got to be able to communicate with God. You must ask Him to help you. Let me just say this in as simple words as I can find. To be a good person, which is what the Christian religion is designed to do. To be a good person, you have to speak to God. You have to pray. You have to ask for His help. You want to be good, you must ask for God's help to be good. So as you read the Sermon on the Mount, instead of convicting you of sin, which is a good part of the process, actually, as we read this incredibly lofty view of righteousness, what God is doing is He's inviting you, as you feel your own inability, He's inviting you to search your own life, to be honest about your own weaknesses, about your own sin. To be honest with, you, with yourself and with Him. And He says to you, with your heart wide open, What is it, my son, my daughter, what is it that you lack? As you read the sermon, what is it that you lack? What is it that you struggle with? What is it that you cannot do? Is it, is it being poor in spirit that you struggle with? Is, it, is, is, is a lack of humility your problem? God says to you, is it? Is it, is it um, not mourning for the things that God mourns for? Is it, is it not having your heart broken by the things that breaks God's heart? Can you sit and watch a movie that in your heart you know does not honor God and not feel any problem or conviction about it? Is it that you do not mourn because those who mourn will be comforted? Is that your problem? But listen to me. God's voice is not condemning you when He asks you that. He's inviting you to come to Him. To get the help you need. What is the answer if your heart doesn't mourn for the things that God's heart mourns for? The answer is not to feel guilty. And to stay in a sense of guilt. Let me tell you what the answer is. Come to God and ask Him for help. And it will be given to you. Seek Him and you will find. Knock on His door and, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. This is the invitation which Jesus now concludes the Sermon on the Mount with. So it's this, it's this relationship and when you ask, when you ask Him for the ability, when you ask Him for the grace to overcome your temptations, your, your weaknesses, you'll receive. And you know what? If you don't receive when you ask, then what do you do? Then you seek. 
Then you get more serious and you begin to seek Him. God, I need you. I need you for this thing. God, I I need you. Seek Him. Seek His Word. Seek Him. Seek Him. And after seeking Him, if, if you still don't find the freedom that you need from sin and what He's promising, then what do you do? Then you knock. You knock importunately at the door. Importunately means persistently, stubbornly. You knock at His door. You knock with the promises of God in one hand and a fist in the other. And you bang and you bang and you bang and you bang on that door. You say, God, I need you. And in his time, he will reward you. And the door will be opened. You'll find what you seek. You'll be given what you ask for. This is what Jesus is saying. Now to come to God with these kinds of prayers, we must believe. In Him, we must believe that He is, that He exists, and we must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You cannot ask God for victory over your sin unless you believe in Him, in His grace, in His power, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It requires faith. That's why I said to you earlier. That the answer to our problem as we read the Sermon on the Mount and we see this high standard of righteousness that God has. The answer is a relationship of God which is based on faith. That's why I said that. You have to believe that God is willing to help you. That His grace is sufficient for you. You have to believe. You see, if you sit here and you are so condemned by sin, so condemned by your own actions, what it means is you haven't grasped what Jesus did on the cross. How powerful His blood is to cleanse you, to wash you clean. You haven't understood what Paul meant when he says, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That He does not condemn you. He invites you to come to Him for freedom. You have to believe in His grace. To come to Him for freedom, you have to believe in His faithfulness to His promises. That when He promises that He will give you the Spirit, if you ask, the Spirit who gives power over sin, that He will give it, that that is a promise which you can hold Him to. You have to... Trust in His wisdom. When you come to God and you ask Him, you have to believe that He knows you all together. He knows you more than you know yourself. He knows what you need to overcome. And that that nothing is hidden to Him. He has the wisdom. He can do it. You, You may think it's impossible to overcome the thing that you struggle with. But with God, all things are possible. And you must trust in His power. It's one thing knowing and and believing that, that God is willing, that He loves you, that He hates sin, that He's got the wisdom. It's and there's another thing to believe that He that His arm is not shortened, that it cannot save. That His arm can stretch right down into your life, into your heart, into your soul, into your mind. That when He sends His Spirit, His Spirit can change you. God has all power. He can do it. Don't feel this morning like there is no hope for you. Like this sin that you so struggle with is going to always dominate you. Don't feel that way like there's no hope. We serve a God whose spirit is given to believers. And that spirit is, is, is omnipotent. He has all power. So ask. Now that then leads us to verse 12. Verse 12 has been an enigma to commentators for generations. The, the conjunction that links the, 
the, the two sentences are conjunction is a word in English grammar that links to clauses. I went to church and I had a cappuccino. And is a conjunction. Am I, am I right, the English teachers in the room? I think I'm correct about that. So the, the conjunction here in the Greek, it's the word un, um, which means therefore. And the reason it's caused trouble for commentators is they, 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 they're just missing the connection. What does therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them? For this is the law and the prophets. Why therefore? What, how does do to others as you'd have them do unto you, what does that have to do with ask, ask for the Holy Spirit's power? And I think the direction that we've gone this morning answers that question. What Jesus is saying is, is because of what I have told you about asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the temptations, the struggles, the unrighteousness that you have in your life. Because you can come to God and ask Him for victory through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why I now tell you, in summary, I will now, I'm, I'm now going to summarize the whole Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I'm going to summarize all the law and the prophets. Because you can pray and get help from the Holy Spirit, now I tell you, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You see, that would have been an impossible task if it were not for the provision that God makes. For us to be able to do it. And that impossible task can be progressively fulfilled by us through the power of prayer. I want to make very clear what I'm saying to you. When Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. He is not saying you may ask for anything you desire. It's not asking for worldly things. It's not asking for the things that the people of the world long for. And if we're honest, our hearts are still tempted towards. You're not being invited to ask for a new Ferrari or a bigger house or power or popularity. Those are not the things that he's saying you can ask for and you'll be given. What he is saying is that when you struggle with sin, when you cannot achieve this, these things that I've say, said to you you must be, you may seek the power of God in prayer to help you. And if you do that, it will be given to you. That's why in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, or perhaps it was another a similar sermon he gave at another time, in his version, Jesus says, instead of, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? What does Luke substitute good things with in his version? The Holy Spirit. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That confirms what I am saying to you this morning. That what God is saying you must ask Him for is the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. Are you doing that? It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can obey God. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can overcome sin. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be a delight to our Father. Why is it that the Christian can be, should be, more righteous than the non-Christian? Why is it that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Why is that? Because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. That's why. And that makes all the difference. The Spirit is the one who in thousands of ways intervenes in our lives every day. And you don't even know He's doing it. Thousands of ways. The Spirit is the one when you are in a conversation with your husband or your wife. Where there is 
the potential of an escalation of conflict. The Spirit is the one who just moves your heart in that moment and gives you a bit of grace or a bit of self-control or the ability to hold your tongue in a moment where you wouldn't have if it weren't for His influence within you. It is the Spirit who gives you the ability to be patient in a queue in pick and pay. When someone is fumbling through all the copper coins to pay for their bill. It is the Spirit who, who gives you the ability to look away, gentlemen, when there is a seductive image or woman. He's the one that in, in a moment, just in, in some subtle way that you don't even realize he's doing it, just gives you the power to look away and continue to be righteous. <clears throat> I don't think we will realize or we could ever realize how much the Spirit is doing for us every day as Christians. And the only way we would actually realize that is, is if he were to just take his hand off of us for a day. And let us just act out our natural inclinations. You know, Paul said, in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. You know, you have to be real about your struggle with sin and your need for the Holy Spirit. But, you might say, I still do struggle with sin and I do have the Holy Spirit I struggle to be a peacemaker. I struggle to be salt and light. I struggle to be pure in heart. I I struggle to maintain sexual purity. I I struggle not to get angry and lose my temper with people. Um, I I, I struggle to to let my yes be yes and my no be no. I lie all the time. I I just tweak the truth to suit my own to my own situation. Um, I, I, I struggle with revenge with people who've hurt me. I struggle to, to turn the other cheek, to, to go the second mile when someone asks me to do something about such a bad attitude when I ask. I struggle, God. I, I struggle. I struggle. I struggle. Well, of course you struggle. Of course you struggle because you're still living in the flesh. And in the flesh, nothing good dwells. In fact, Paul says it wars against the spirit. So what are you to do? And here Jesus gives us the answer. Ask. Ask for help in every moment where you feel your flesh rising. Ask for help. Ask. Pray. Seek. Seek God. Search for Him. Be willing to commit to the disciplines of the Christian life. And seek Him. Seek His help. Seek the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And knock. Knock at the door. No matter how long that door seems to stay shut. And no matter how long you seem persistently to struggle with this sin. You knock and you knock and you knock with God's promises in your hand. And don't take no for an answer. No matter how long your your, your struggle has been. Some of you are struggling deeply with certain sins. And I'm, I'm only here to encourage you this morning. Keep knocking. Keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. Knock and knock and knock. No matter how much the devil tells you that you will never overcome. He's a liar. You can be free. You knock at the door of heaven until God sends you his spirit to give you the ability to overcome. Now, this is why, as a Christian, you must have a quiet time. You've heard the quiet time speech before, I'm sure. Well, you must have a quiet time, because a quiet time is about setting time aside where you pray, where you ask and seek and knock. If you're not doing it, then how can you expect to receive and find and have the door open to you? why you should have a quiet time because you need it do you understand that are you being honest with yourself about your own susceptibility to sin are you being honest with yourself about your own temptations because if you're honest you will admit you need this you need the Holy Spirit And not only do we need a quiet time, but it's also why throughout the day, every day, every week, every month, you must be calling on God throughout the day. 
Pray without ceasing, says Paul. Oh God, help me. Because you know, you face a myriad situations every single day where you're tempted to sin. And in every single one of those, the invitation is there. Pray. Ask me. I'll give you the strength. Now, God has set it up this way. You you may wonder, well, if God knows we so struggle with sin, why doesn't He just why doesn't He just give us the victory? Why doesn't He just give us the Spirit in all His fullness by the blood of Christ? You know, Jesus has done it all. Why doesn't why don't we just get well? God has in His wisdom, in His divine will, He has set it up this way. That what He offers us through His Son Jesus, we access through prayer. He set it up that way. If you want the Holy Spirit to be moving you in more and more powerful ways, I'm not talking about charismatic gifts. I believe in those. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. If you want God to move you in more and more powerful ways, move you in moments of temptation to become a better and better person, a better father, a better wife, a better husband, a better friend, a better citizen, a better employee, a better boss. If you long to be a better person, you have to be asking God for it. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help. He doesn't just give out all His blessings. Some, yes, not all. He doesn't just hand them all out. He wants us to ask Him, to seek Him at times, and and at other times to knock and knock persistently at that door, boldly and persistently, importunately. Why? Because that is how we express the one thing that pleases God. Faith. It's why He set it up this way. He wants you to respond to Him in faith. And prayer, as I said earlier, requires faith. Faith in His power, faith in His mercy, faith in His grace. You must be praying. So are you struggling with any of these things that you see in the Sermon on the Mount? The good news is that the the Christian religion, as Matthew Henry told us, is designed in such a way, and it is well designed, to make you good. Ask, seek, and knock, and you will find that He will send His Spirit in His time, and you will obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen to me as I close. Please listen to me. God is a good Father. He's a good Father. He knows what you need. And He's pleased to give you the help of the Holy Spirit if you will only ask Him for it. If you will persistently and in faith pray for the help of the Spirit, He will give it to you. And He will turn no one away. As long as you come in humility and in faith Because listen to the words of Jesus. For everyone who asks, receives. And whoever seeks, will find. And to that person who is willing to knock on the door, to him the door will be opened. You don't have to prepare yourself with any good deeds. You don't have to be a good person. You can come to God with the worst of your filth. And he's pleased to have you come. (laughs) Could there be any better news than that? You can come. And he will help you. God's not put off by your sin anymore. Once you're a Christian, you don't repulse him anymore. Doesn't matter what you're doing. I'm not saying there's not consequences. Next week we will hear that there are consequences. You can build your house on sand or you can build your house on rock. But as far as your peace with God is concerned, He's not repulsed by you anymore. He's at peace with you. And He says, rather than staying there in your guilt and in your shame, 
Come to me with all your filth and I'll give you freedom. It's wonderful. It's just, it's just so wonderful. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm finished addressing Christians now. I'm just going to spend a minute and I want to address those of you in the room who are not Christians. Now the first danger when I say people in the room are not Christians, the first danger is that you will say, of course I'm a Christian. And whoever preaches next week is is going to get to that part of Jesus' exhortation that says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. Be honest with yourself this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or did you just grow up in a Christian home or hang around with Christian people? Be honest with yourself. There's no judgment here. We were all in this position. You've just come to the point today. You have no right to expect the help of the Holy Spirit while you are not a Christian. Because you are not God's child. That may seem harsh, but that's the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture says this, we are not God's children until we are adopted as His children through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why John says this, to whoever receives Him, Jesus, to them, God gives them the right to become the children of God. Do you want to be God's child? Do you want to have access to the gift of the Holy Spirit? Then come to Jesus. Come to to the cross. Put your sin before the cross and say, God, please forgive me. I accept Jesus. I receive Him as my Savior. Are you ready to do that this morning? I'm going to ask for two responses this morning as I close. I'm going to ask for people to stand. first group I'm going to ask is for those who... At any point in the Sermon on the Mount, felt a conviction, a struggle, a frustration with sin in your life. I mean, who doesn't? I'm going to ask you to stand. And and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer that Jesus invites us to pray. I'm going to pray through the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry, not every verse, Andrew. Just the general categories. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit... To give us victory in these areas. That's what we're invited to pray. And he says, if you ask, you receive. And when, when, when we get to that point where you feel a certain sense of conviction about your life, just knit your heart that much more strongly with the prayer and say, yes, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask those of you who want to pray that prayer along with me to stand. And then the second group I'm going to ask, as we're standing or as some are standing, some are sitting, if you want to become a Christian today in the fullest sense of the word. You want to receive Jesus as your Savior and have the Holy Spirit come into you for the first time. I want you to come down to the front and we're going to baptize you today in that water. Because that's the first thing your Lord tells you to do when you get saved, is to be baptized in water as a sign that you have died to your old self and been raised again to newness of life in the Holy Spirit. And then we will lay hands on you and pray for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You got it. Two groups. Struggling with sin. Stand. I'm standing. You want to give your life to the Lord. You come down to the front. You stand with me as I'm praying. While everyone's eyes are closed, we're all praying. You just make your way down while I'm praying. And we're going to do the baptism. Well, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning, Lord. We come to you in the name of Jesus, because it's that name that brings us into your courts in peace. And God, we are so delighted this morning with the thought that you don't condemn us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not surprised by our sin. You're not surprised by our struggles. But your grace is sufficient. And your will is that we should come and ask you for freedom. 
and ask you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and ask you for the moving and victory of the Spirit. And so God, as I go through this Sermon on the Mount now, Lord, we pray you give us victory. Oh God, give us hearts that are humble, Lord. God, give us hearts that mourn for the things that you mourn for. Give us hearts that are grieved by the things that grieve you. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Lord, give us meekness, Lord. Rid us of pride by the Holy Spirit, Lord. Let us hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord. Let us be merciful, pure in heart, and makers of peace, God. God, we need you. We need you, Holy Spirit. God, let us rejoice when we're persecuted, not run from it, Lord. Power of the Spirit, Lord. Let us be salt and light in this world. Lord, let our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees by the work of the Holy Spirit. We ask you for him this morning. Lord, let us not give in to the temptations of anger and malice, God. That our words would not be angry words, God. That we would not call others fools, Lord. But God, that our hearts would be hearts of peace and of love and of reconciliation with our fellow sinners. Lord, give us sexual purity, Lord. Oh God, for those of us who are struggling with this thing, God, give us sexual purity again, Lord. Lord, we believe you are able to overcome the demons of sexual immorality. You are powerful enough. Yes, you are. Send your spirit, Lord. Let it rain. Let it rain, Lord. Let it rain upon your people, God. Lord, let us who are married be faithful to our husbands and wives, Lord. Bless the marriages of this church, God. Every, every interchange, every conversation, every moment of, of, of intimacy between husband and wife, every coffee that they share together, every moment of the home. God, we pray for that limitless, multitudinal, Lord, influence of the Spirit in every moment of our married lives. Because, Lord, at every moment we need the grace of the Spirit between husbands and wives, Lord. That our, that our marriages would be as a city set on a hill, Lord, full of joy and peace, Lord. Send your spirit to our marriages, to our children, Lord. Lord, let our yes be yes and our no be no, Lord. Remove lying far from us, Lord. But give us the ability to be men and women of our word. Even for those in business here, Lord, that they would conduct themselves ethically, Lord. And that their commitments would be what they stick to. God, where we're inconvenienced... And when we're tempted to revenge, I pray you give us hearts of peace for the Holy Spirit. That we would go the second mile when we're asked to go one. That we would turn the cheek that is slapped to the person that slapped the other cheek. Lord, give us hearts of humility and peace and generosity of spirit. That we would have no enemies, God. Lord, help us love our neighbors, but help us love our enemies. Holy Spirit, do this work in us. Lord, let us give charitably, Lord. Let us give liberally, sacrificially. Give us a heart for the poor. And Lord, give us the discipline to do it before you privately. So that we don't try to do it for the, the praise and applause of men. But give us quiet, top secret hearts of generosity, Lord. Top secret hearts of prayer and of fasting. Work these disciplines into our lives. Holy Spirit, we give ourselves over to you. Work in us what is well pleasing in your sight, Lord. Give us hearts that seek treasure in heaven and not treasure on earth. Lord, free us from the love of money and give us eyes that do not look with jealousy, God. Give us hearts that delight in you and your kingdom. And that city to which you will one day take us. Turn our eyes to heaven, Lord. 
Change our perspective, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Send him to us, Lord. Change our very worldviews, Lord. And Lord, rid us of worry and concern for the future. Give us hearts that simply believe that you are a good father and you will provide all our needs, Lord. Give us peace by the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, Lord, I pray that you will give us a heart that doesn't judge our fellow man, but that we would be slow to judge God. That we would not be hypocrites, but we would look into our own hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray you do all this and more in my life and in the life of every saint who's lifted up his or her heart to you here this morning. As we've asked, I pray that we will receive the help of the Spirit as we seek this morning. Let us find, and as we knock at the door, oh God, let that door be open to us in Jesus' name. Amen.